So if we've had an opportunity to know each other, you may know that I have moved several times in my life. And when I leave a particular area, one of the things that I miss the most are the restaurants that I've grown to love. Uh, Em and I spend most of our disposable income on food. Uh, I don't know if I would say we're foodies, but we really like good food, and we don't have fancy electronics or cars or clothes or things like that, but we really like to have good food. And this has kind of been in my blood for a very long time. When I left Lakeland, uh, which is two hours inland and is my hometown, I missed lots of restaurants like Patio 850 with its smack and swine pizza, um, a barbecue shack in neighboring town called Peebles with its pulled pork always served with white marita bread, and a Turkish place called Cafe Zupina with its lamb dishes and Brussels sprouts. And when I left Atlanta, I missed the falafel at the cedar tree. And when I left Nashville, Tennessee, I missed the korma at Sitar Indian Cuisine. And if I ever have to leave Cocoa Beach, I will miss places like the Tiny Turtle, Surfinista, 4th Street Filling Station, Nosh, Florida Fresh Grill, and the Fat Kahuna. We've got a lot of good food here, don't we? I wonder what places are still seared in your memory. And if you had a magic wand and could eat anywhere in the world today, where would you have dinner tonight? As we reflect more deeply, we may realize that our favorite restaurants are not just about the food. Although the delicious meals at Patio 850 were one reason that I kept going back, what made it extra special is that Emma and I used to go there frequently on dates. It was around their tables and fire pits that we had some of our best conversations and got to know each other even better. And I don't just miss the falafel at the cedar tree or the korma at sitar, but I also miss the deep theological and philosophical conversations that I had with my friends in graduate school. One of the most memorable meals and recent memory took place at the Hard Rock Cafe in Orlando on July the 9th of this year. My mom and dad met Emma and I and all four of our kids to celebrate Job and Jackson's birthdays, my two oldest boys who have a birthday very close to each other. In addition, our friend Renato was visiting from El Salvador and he joined us for the family celebration. You may remember Renato came and we raised money for the lunch program in El Sante. While Hard Rock is a cool place with lots of music memorabilia, I believe that the food is overpriced and mediocre at best. Since I was planning to pick up the bill and I knew it was going to be very expensive, I moved monies from savings to checking and tried not to get stressed out about the cost. It was the first time in many months that our whole family had been together, and we had a wonderful time celebrating, talking, and laughing. Renato got to experience hard rock and got to know my family. And in this way, I thought that I was really blessing him. And as we got to the end of the meal, I started dreading getting the check. And strangely, it never came. 
I soon realized that Renato, who was our guest, had left the table, secretly got the bill, and paid it. He also purchased some overpriced pictures of our family that were taken when we first came into the restaurant. You know, they kind of force you into that. To say that I was blown away by Renato's extravagant generosity is an understatement. I was truly flabbergasted, and I was also humbled because it was not just me that was blessing Renato and my family by organizing this meal, but it was my family and Renato that was blessing me in ways that will remain in my memory for a very long time. Friends, when we share meals with people, something special happens. Acquaintances can quickly become friends, and friends can quickly become lovers. Em and I went from friends to dating over a single meal at Carabas in Winter Haven, Florida. That meal literally changed the trajectory of my life forever. When we are gathered around the table, lonely people can feel connected. Broken relationships can be mended. Family fights can be replaced, even if for a moment, with laughter. Think about all the blessings that you have received around a table and how some meals proved to be pivotal in your life. If we want a good example of how sharing a meal with someone can change their life, we are wise to look at Jesus. Indeed, when we read the Gospels, we see that one of the most powerful ways that Jesus blessed others, showed them the love of God, and changed their life was to share a meal with them. Remember that Jesus' first miracle took place at a large wedding feast where he turned water into wine. And not just any wine, but the Bible says really good wine. And one of the most memorable stories in the gospel is when Jesus multiplied a little fish and bread to feed 5,000 people. The night before his crucifixion, he gathered with his best friends for a meal and then used food and drink, bread and wine, to teach them the meaning of his death and the fulfillment of his mission. For over 2,000 years, Christians have celebrated this meal in his memory, and it has shaped our identity as followers of Jesus in incredible ways. And after Jesus was crucified by the Romans and resurrected by God on the third day, he shared breakfast on the beach with a couple of his disciples. Jesus shared so many meals with so many people that the religious leaders accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. These were false accusations, of course, but they weren't created out of thin air. The ministry of Jesus was always happening around tables filled with food. And I believe that this is significant when we understand that sharing a meal in Jesus' time was a big deal. It was a sign of friendship and an affirmation of a person's value dignity, and worth. 
it's kind of hard for us to understand how big of a deal it was because we're so used to driving through Taco Bell drive-through, right, um, and getting a couple of bean burritos and scarfing them down as we're driving to our next appointment. But in Jesus' time, it was a really big deal. Have you ever heard the phrase that we are known by the company we keep? Well, in Jesus' time, to eat with someone was to treat them as a social equal and was a reflection on everyone present. We also need to remember that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi and the people that he chose to associate with, the people that he chose to eat with, would have directly impinged upon his reputation, especially among the other religious leaders. And this is why it was such a scandal for Jesus to eat with the lowest and most rejected people of his day. I just want you to think about it. Jesus lived in a hierarchical culture in which men were elevated above women, the rich were elevated above the poor, the ultra-religious were elevated above the marginally religious, the healthy were elevated above the sick, the strong were elevated above the weak, and so on. In addition, the Jewish community was structured by a purity code in which certain people, places, and things were considered clean and embraced, while other people, places, and things were considered unclean and were to be avoided. And when we put all of this together, we get a society that is clearly divided into insiders and outsiders, a society structured by many rules that must be kept and many boundaries that must not be crossed. And lots of these rules and boundaries defined who you could share a meal with and how that was to take place. And Jesus, are you awake, church? Jesus very intentionally broke these rules and crossed these boundaries. He didn't do it on accident. He did it on purpose. Eating with people that were considered the scum of the earth. Why? Because he knew that it was one of the most powerful ways to demonstrate the good news of God's love to save the lost, and to give an example of how God wants us to value and treat each other. One of the best examples of this is when Jesus shared a meal with a tax collector named Matthew. And I want you to listen to this story, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 9 and will be projected on the worship screens behind me. This is what it says. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me which is really weird, a Jewish rabbi calling a tax collector to follow him. Matthew got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. Now remember, the tax collectors in Jesus' day were hated, truly hated. They were Jewish men 
who worked for the Romans, the enemy, the foreign occupying power, and consequently they were considered to be traitors to their own people. Furthermore, as they collected the Roman tax, they paid themselves by increasing the amount collected. Some would add outrageous amounts to the bill to further enrich themselves, and for these reasons, tax collectors were despised and treated as social outcasts among their own people. So Jesus broke all of the rules by inviting Matthew to be one of his disciples and by sharing a meal at his house. And it wasn't just Matthew. By the time that the religious leaders saw what was happening, Jesus was gathered around a table with a pretty motley crew of sinners. Can you imagine a Jewish rabbi celebrating a meal around the table with a bunch of social outcasts, including tax collectors, prostitutes, and others engaging in illicit behavior. As the religious leaders looked on in horror, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the scum of the earth? And Jesus overheard them and responded, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Bam! There it is. There it is. Jesus's mission in a nutshell, to seek and save the lost. And nothing would stand in his way, not even a bunch of social and religious rules. Jesus goes on to say, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, what's most important to God is not religious rules and rituals, but love. Love of God and love of neighbor, which we know is the greatest commandment given by Jesus. By his words and actions, which included showing radical hospitality to the outcast around the dinner table, Jesus reveals the heart of God. We read in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So as we watch Jesus doing these things, it reveals the heart of God. He also reveals his mission to seek out and save the lost. And in the process, he sets an example for us regarding how we should treat others, especially the marginalized and the outcast. Like Jesus, we are called to share the love of God with others by blessing them. And an important way we bless them is to share a meal as a sign of friendship and as an act of love. But the question remains, does it really work? When we share a meal with someone does it actually function to change them? Well, you will have to think back over your own life to answer that question for yourself. But in my experience, it does. So many pivotal moments of my life have happened around the table. One involves a friend named John. John was not a close friend, but more of an acquaintance, but he reached out to me and said that he was having a lot of problems and wondered if I would meet him for dinner. I said, well, maybe we can work something out. When do you want to meet? And he said, tonight. And 
with such little notice, I reluctantly agreed and met him at a local restaurant. The moment he began to talk, the dam broke and the tears began to flood down his face. He explained how trouble was dogging almost every single area of his life, how he had become depressed and isolated and how he didn't even know if he wanted to go on in life. After trying to listen without judgment as I ate my food, I began to share my story while he ate his food. And I explained to him that I had similar struggles in my own life with depression and how God had brought me out of it. I explained that there was no silver bullet, no magic trick to make all the problems and the pain go away, but that I had to get several things working together over a sustained period of time in order to get out of my depression. And that included in counseling, <laughs> lots and lots of counseling, taking antidepressants for a while, reaching out to friends, going to church, praying and meditating on Scripture. And I encouraged my friend John to think about the things that he would need to do in order to get through this difficult time without destroying himself in the process. We ended our conversation with a hug in the parking lot, and the next morning I sent him a text and said, how are you doing? And he responded, I'm doing better. I made a doctor's appointment today and a counseling appointment for tomorrow. And in that moment, I realized that God may have used that conversation to save that man's life. One of my favorite spiritual authors is Henry Nouwen. His work got me through some of the darkest seasons of my life when I was wondering if I wanted to continue going on. And there is a great quote in his devotional entitled, Bread for the Journey, and it says this, when we invite friends for a meal, we do more than offer them food for their bodies. We offer friendship, fellowship, good conversation, intimacy, and closeness. When we say, help yourself, take some more, don't be shy, have another glass, we offer our guests not only our food and drink, but also ourselves. A spiritual bond can grow, and we become food and drink for one another. And this, my friends, is why sharing a meal is such a powerful act of love, because it is an act of self-giving. In closing, I wanna ask you to, to consider a few questions. How has your life been shaped around tables of food? What kinds of blessings have you received by sharing meals with others? And not just physical blessings, but also emotional and spiritual blessings too. Perhaps most importantly, how could you share some of those blessings with others by inviting them to have a meal with you this week? Who are the people in your life right now who might be encouraged or healed by your presence or by your kind words over breakfast 
lunch, dinner, or even coffee. How could God use us to change our community if we were more intentional and consistent in offering ourselves in love around meals? I think that these are great questions to ponder and maybe even journal on throughout the week as we seek to allow God's word to get into not only our minds but our hearts so that it can change our behavior. And that, my friends, is the good news of the gospel this morning. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Mark, and I want to thank you for listening today. I also want to thank First United Methodist Church of Cocoa Beach, the faith community I am honored to serve and that helps make this ministry possible. If you are being blessed by these messages, I invite you to support the mission of Jesus through the efforts of our church by making a donation. Simply go to our website, www.fumccb.com, and click on the link that says Give. I also hope that you will explore other parts of our website and connect to other ministries like online worship and Bible studies. If you feel more comfortable, you can also mail a donation to the church office at 3300 North Atlantic Avenue, Cocoa Beach, Florida, 32931. We sincerely appreciate your support as we try to help people who are struggling and need to hear good news. Again, thanks for tuning in today, and may God bless you.